today we're going to be talking about this idea of our fears um, that we see here in this discussion. It's interesting because it's not laid out that these are the things Moses feared, but um, as I was going through this, working through this passage, um, you see Moses's communication with God and how God answers. You see what are some of the things he was afraid of? How does God address it? And um, a few things I, you know, want to share that with you. Now, when you, as a grown-up, you don't think of so many as you're afraid of things, you know, afraid of the dark or afraid of this. You know, when we're little, we had things we, we might have been afraid of. Um, but as you grow up, you, we lose those childish fears. But yet, we all have them. And these are some of the basic fears that I think all of us deal with. And only God himself is the answer to these things. And so this isn't um, any other technique on how to you know, figure out how to become more courageous or better. It's, it's really the gospel message that changes all of our innate fears, all of our inac- inadequacies, um, and it's only found in God. And uh, there's an interesting story um, that uh, a man named Dennis Lynn writes in his uh, book, Sleeping with Bread. And it's a story, he starts out by talking about after World War II, um, all these orphans were taken into the orphanages. Um, and all these orphans, one thing they, they, they couldn't get them to do is sleep at night. When it was time to go to bed, they turn off the lights. The kids would cry all night, and they wouldn't sleep. And obviously, they were keeping each other awake. And so they tried different things. They tried to read them stories and hug them and hold them. It wouldn't work. The little toddlers would just burst into tears when it came to bedtime. And one of the uh, caretakers um, thought, uh, and I don't know if they came upon by chance, but gave the child a loaf of bread to hold. Um, And it was interesting that as they did this, the children all began to sleep through the night. They would hold the bread and go to sleep. It was their assurance that there's going to be food tomorrow. It was their assurance that, I think, the smell of it, the feel of it, that there is some security. And since the the title of the book, Sleeping with Bread, but that they would all have a, a loaf as they would go to sleep until they got accustomed to this. Now, you know, you see here that Moses takes the staff of God with him. The staff, however big it was, uh, represented God being with him. It was very important, right? And, and it's mentioned uh, all throughout the Bible multiple times in, the, in, in Exodus, 21 times total, where God's, you know, presence is next to him because of the staff. He uses the staff um, in various significant times. And so we see this here. Um, but it's a picture of... Um, our fears and what we have here. It's interesting. Um, there's a passage in this passage in verse 24 to 26. There's this little story here that none of us have learned at Sunday school. The story is they, they stop and God is going to kill Moses. And the mother of the child now circumcises the firstborn son um, and then throws the skin at Moses' feet and he's spared. And you say, well, that, it's kind of an odd story to have here because we're not used to this. We're used to, yeah, the parting of the water, uh, the plagues, the Ten Commandments. But what, what is this? And uh, to be honest, as I was preparing this, I was reading commentary after commentary, a lot of different thoughts. And one of the commentators was saying, yeah, it is a very obscure passage. We're not sure why it's in there, but it's in there, right? And I was struggling through this. And I was like, do I just tell them? Yeah, I don't know why it's in there, but it's in here. Um, And I was thinking about this, and one of the thoughts that came up is that circumcision was the sign that you are God's people. It was the physical sign that you are God's person. When he's going back to Egypt now with his uncircumcised kids, I think Moses was trying to go back 
um, kind of in disguise in case it didn't work out. And he was going to go in like a Gentile, like a non-Hebrew, a non-follower of God, and he was going to go see what it was like. And so it was at that point his wife now circumcises the child, and, the, and now they are identified as God's people. And God shows his mercy and grace towards Moses. But this is the whole story. God calls him to go. Remember last week's story, the whole excuse after excuse. We see Moses not as a, uh, you know, Charlton Heston, the big, brave, strong, deep-voiced guy, but really someone who is fearful, very insecure, filled with guilt and shame and uh, a lot of bitterness and does not want to go. It ultimately tells God to his face, send someone else, I don't want to go. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had a situation like this, and if I was in God's shoes, I'd say, oh, oh, yeah, I'm going to send someone for sure. You know, like, and you're in big trouble, right? And if I was the boss, and some, you know, I tell someone, hey, I need you to do this, and say, I don't want to do it. Well, you're, gonna go. you're fired. I'll get someone better. But here we see the uh, work of God. We see here God's patience and goodness. Um, and he knows Moses' fears. He knows our fears. And he takes his time to go through our fears. And he answers and he takes care of our fears. And so if you have your uh, app with the sermon outline up there, it should be up there. There's some fill in the blanks. But here are the four fears that Moses had and that we all have. Number one is the fear of rejection. We're all afraid to be rejected. What if they don't like me? Now at any level... Some of you guys, you know, you've been rejected before, right? And it is not fun at all. It doesn't matter what level it is. Applying for a school, trying out for a team, you know, taking your friend and making it more than a friend for lunch and, you know, them defining it to you. This is not a date. We're just eating. And no, if I'm paying, it's a date, right? And we've been through that. And maybe a few of you have never been rejected. You've been the rejecter. Well, you know, that is really harsh, right? And so don't do that anymore, right? But being rejected is tough. Here, this is the fear of rejection, being rejected by God's people. Um, It's interesting. In verse 18, Moses tells Jethro, his father-in-law, why he's going. And the reason he's going shows that he is going to go see if his people, if they're going to accept him. This isn't what God told him to go and do. He told him to go talk to Pharaoh. But this is his fear. I think it shows us here in verse 18. um, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. He addresses the Hebrews there as his brothers. He's hoping that they would accept him. Remember, they're the ones that accused him. You know, you you did this and you were a murderer. Who do you think you are? You know, are you going to murder us now? And he's been dwelling on this. Now, this is 40 years have gone by since he has left. And he tells Jethro, his father-in-law, I want to go see if, if my brothers are still there. If they, I want to test it out. I want to see if they would accept me. Um, because he, he has a certain image. He has a certain way he wants to do things. It's, there is a term that was coined in the late 70s, 80s called the imposter syndrome. Uh, imposter syndrome, um, and, and the two people that coined it, uh, is the idea that those who are very high achieving, very ambitious, They have this syndrome where they feel like they're an imposter. Like people are going to find out that they're not as smart as they really are. Or they're not as, you know, cute as they really think they are. And there is this big fear and anxiety. And it happens more in women than men. And it happens to those who are very high achieving. 
And I was thinking about our church, and I said, probably a lot of us deal with this imposter syndrome. Um, you know, one of the people that they said even had this uh, syndrome was Albert Einstein. At the end of his life, he was afraid that people were going to find out that he was, quote-unquote, a, a, a swindler because everyone thought he was so smart, and he felt like he wasn't as smart as people thought he was. Um, and you think about this, even in our culture here, and sometimes, and I've seen this over the years so many times, where if someone messes up, if someone does something that they are embarrassed about um, within the church, they'll leave church quietly. They'll just leave. And it goes against the whole idea of grace and forgiveness, but they, say, they just want to leave. And I think it's this. They don't want people to know I have flaws. They don't want to have to apologize. Um, why are there certain people that are, have a hard time with commitment? Because it's this imposter syndrome, I think. Moses dealt with this. The fear of rejection. Will they accept me? Am I going to be okay? We see this in the, um, you know, the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. You remember he comes. This, this is the ultimate guy. He's rich, he's young, and he he's, he's, has power. These are the three things that we all want today in our society. He's the one that comes to, God, to Jesus. And they have that discussion. What must I do to inherit you know, eternal life? And he's like, I, I obey all the commands. And he tells them to go sell all your possessions. Um, it wasn't an explicit command to us. You have to sell everything in order to follow God. But what he was pointing out to him is, you're not even following the first commandment, the second commandment. You have so many more gods before God. And it's interesting because he's, he denies Jesus. And at the end... Um, he leaves very sorrowful, the Bible tells us. Um, Jesus says, if you would, in verse 21, if you would be perfect, you know, teleos is the word, if you would be complete, uh, you would come of age, you are mature, you are complete, that's the thought. So what Jesus is saying is, I know your flaws, um, and uh, you have a lot of flaws. You think you're perfect, you're young, you're rich, you're healthy. He goes, but I know your flaws. And if you want to be complete, it's ultimately found in God, not in the things that you have. And he leaves that place very sorrowful. This was his own choice. Why does he leave so sorrowful? Because he got exposed. He got rejected in a way that his goodness before Christ wasn't good enough. And sometimes we come to God and we think our goodness is good enough. Our morality is moral enough. And he says, no, that's, that's not good enough. Um, and we see that here. Uh, the fear of persecution, secondly is what Moses feared, being persecuted, being attacked. None of us like having enemies. I hope you don't have an enemy. Um, a lot of us are fearful of bad people, people who don't like us, people who, someone at work who is against us, um, someone in the family uh, that is just, you know, messed up and they're against us, and we have a fear of persecution. Um, that's what he was afraid of. Uh, verse 19, the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. It is in God's response, and we see this often in the, old, you know, in the narrative passages where God is, where Jesus is talking, and He answers questions that aren't asked. Right? He's hitting the heart of it, or He asks um, Cain and Abel, "Where, you know, where is your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? You know, uh, you know." And He's asking these questions, and in God's response, it's not connected to what Moses said, but he says something quite different. He says, um, go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. 
Now, what he, remember what Moses told Jethro was, I'm going to go see if my brothers are there. I just want to go see them. But here God says, no, 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 I know why you want to really go. I know what you are afraid of. The ones who are seeking your life. Pharaoh who wanted to kill you. The, the Hebrews who said, who are you to judge over us? All the people you are afraid of. He says, they're already dead. Don't worry about it. God knew his fears. And he answers that, right? The third fear he has is the fear of being alone, I think. Um, he, he goes, in verse 20, he takes his wife, his sons, take them on a donkey. They go back to Egypt. Uh, it's interesting because he's never told to take his wife or sons. In, in Exodus 18, actually, it tells us that Moses sent back his wife and sons to Jethro, her dad, his father-in-law, to go back. And so him wanting to drag everyone along, I think, is his security blanket and his fear. The fear of being alone. The fear of being uh, rejected alone. Um, and to go together in this way. And fourthly, he had the fear of failure. And this is obviously all, all kind of semi-connected. The fear of failure. He, his biggest thing was, in his logical mind, this wasn't going to work. He wasn't the right person to do it. So he was going to go, and he knew, he's like, I just know this isn't going to work. I'm not qualified, as we looked at last week. When God speaks to Moses, he knows that, and he points out to him, you are going to fail. And he lets him know, I already know you're going to fail. I already know it's not going to be perfect. Verse 21, the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt... See that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. God already points out his failure. He says, I, I, the, I will harden his heart. He will not let the people go. So your mission is going to initially look like a failure. And all of us, we look at life and we... we um, do not like failures. You know, the things that we post on uh, Facebook and Instagram are not our failures, but our successes and sometimes our fake successes, you know. I made this, um, I, I can say this because my daughter's not here, my oldest, um, but, you know, so she's on Instagram, and Instagram's a big deal. So I'm on Instagram because originally she was on Instagram, and my wife is now on my Instagram to spy on her Instagram, right? It's, it's, I'm like, why don't you just get your own and give me my phone back? And she's like, no, why would I? I have yours. You know, so that was the logic. That's the logic. But uh, one day she wanted to make donuts, my daughter. And she, she saw it on TV or maybe on Instagram. I don't know. And she's like, I'm going to make these fancy donuts. Making donuts from scratch. You know, we really take the, the dozen donuts at the corner store very for granted. Because now she says, oh, I've got the recipe. I'm going to make donuts. And I was thinking, oh, man. And they all, they want to do this when mom is out. You know, she's out for dinner with some people. And the sucker is home alone. Or the dad is home. And he says, dad, I'm going to make donuts. And you're going to taste it. It's going to be so good. I said, you sure? And he goes, yeah, I'll do it. Don't worry. You know, and I was like, all right. And then, you know, two minutes later, dad, can you help me out with this real quick? Just real quick, I'm like, I'm trying to watch golf. Leave me alone. And like, can you help me out? Can you help me out? And so now we're making donuts. And it's not working out. And she's getting really frustrated. There's flour everywhere. This thing is not working. Um, it's not cooking right. And so um, I finally have to help her to make some form of a donut. Right? And then we, you know, uh, put the toppings on it. And it looks great. She's like, oh, or finally, like I get to take a picture and put it on Instagram, you know. And so it's on her Instagram, 
And um, I was like, you want to eat it? She goes, no, I don't want to eat it. <laughs> She's like, you eat it. And I'm like, oh, you know, we could just go to the corner and get a dozen. It tastes a lot better. You know, and he goes, no, it, it just looks good. Um, but really, it's this fear of a failure. What if it doesn't work? We want everyone to think that it's all put together and nice. Um, usually, when we get together in our community groups, you know, the first quarter or two, when we're going around sharing, oh, tell us about your this and this and that, and it's just quiet. You know, people are wondering, how much do I get to share? Is this a safe place? They all look so together. Their houses look so nice. I go over there, and it takes some time. Like, I'm, you know, me and my wife, we're in a community group, and we go to our group. I'm not the leader, right? Someone else is the leader, and I sit, and um, they thought it was very difficult and awkward that I was in his group talking about my sermon. But anyways, you know, um, it, but after a while, after some time, you know, we just talk. And now I... I I interject sometimes, like, you got to stop sharing because it's, you know, like, you're, you're talking too much. Like, you know, we, it's 10 o'clock. Like, you know, let's go because everyone wants to share so much. Because once I feel like I'm in a safe place, oh, you know, your problem's nothing. You know, my problem is this. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, we got we to gotta go. All right, you talked about that last week. You know, we're still praying for that, right? Um, but I jump in on that. Well, what does God do? What's God's remedy for all of our fears? How does he deal with our fears? Uh, number one, he, we, he demonstrates his power to us. His, uh, to Moses, he shows him his power. Um, verse 21 again, right? It's interesting, right? He says, uh, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, that I put there. Here he's saying, remember, I'm giving you the power. Not only am I giving you the power to go and perform these miracles, but I'm going to give you the power and let you know that I even have power over your failures. I'm going to harden his heart. And Pharaoh is not going to let your people go. Here we see the power of God, even in our weaknesses and failures. You know, we call this uh, the sovereignty of God. Like God is sovereign. He is all-powerful. There's nothing that happens outside the will of God. Um, when theologian Michael Horton was asked, why pray if God is sovereign? If he has everything under control, why pray? And his response I thought was so perfect. And he responded by saying, why pray to God if he isn't sovereign? If he isn't powerful, why go and pray to him? But because he is sovereign, because he has all things in his hands, I go to him in prayer. I align myself with his will, with his sovereignty in this way. You know, it's like uh, uh, riding a, uh, you know, when you get on a plane. There are many things about riding a plane that I dislike, you know. Um, the seatbelt. I'm like, hey, if I need a seatbelt on a plane, I don't think it's really going to help me, you know. Um, the bathroom lines and, you know, when you come out of the bathroom, the whole plane's looking at you and kind of knowing what you did and um, like, oh, he was in there for five minutes, you know. Um, I don't like that. Different things. Middle seat, I hate the middle seat, you know, um, whatnot. One of the things, the thing I, I despise the most is uh, turbulence. I hate turbulence because it's, um, I get motion sickness and it, it's, um, it's, you know, it's like that, but. You want a captain, right? And this happens on every flight, right? The captain, they tell you when there's going to be turbulence. And it's kind of nice if they tell you. Um, and they always do it the same way, you know. 
they, they, call, they call themselves by their title, not by their name. This, this is a captain. You know, and they talk without moving their lips, and they have their whole, every captain, it's the same guy. This is a captain at this time, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn on the seatbelt signal. They're like, oh, he turned on the seatbelt light, you know, and you could barely make out, but he said, what? There's going to be turbulence for the next couple minutes. Just sit tight. There'll be a little turbulence. And then usually there's some uh, flight attendant that gets back on and repeats, reiterates everything again. The captain has turned on the seatbelt light. There'll be a little turbulence. I like it. Why is that? Because it's reassuring. A part of me, I said, can, can you fly around the turbulence? But if not, at least he knows. I don't want the captain to say, you know, we're going through turbulence. Oh, my gosh, there's turbulence. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear it after the fact. <laughs> oh, my gosh, there was turbulence. Sorry, guys. Wow, we made it. I like it that the captain says, we went through it. And I go, okay, he's under control. Whatever his name is, he's up there, he's awake, and he knows it'll be a little bumpy. Oh, good. Right? And oh, he's, I could trust him. God, in this passage, continually reassures Moses, even this is going to look like I have no control, Moses. You're going to go. I've, I've twisted your arm to go. You're going to go, and then the Pharaoh's going to say no to your face, and it's going to look like everything failed. But God says, I still am under control. And sometimes we look at our lives and we say, God, where are you? God, why is this so horrible? Why is it so difficult? Why is this happening? And in the midst of it, he says, don't worry. I am still in control. Even in our worst disappointments, he says, no, I still know. I've, I know what's going on. I know what's going on at home. I know what's going on at work. I am in control. I am working on you. So we got to understand God's power. We make too little of his power. The second thing we have to understand is God's presence in our life. He's with us. You know, in Exodus 3, 12, and all throughout, the whole thing that he keeps saying is, I am who I am, and he tells them, that, I am with you. I am with you. And he keeps repeating that to Moses. I will be with you. Tells him to take now the staff. I will be with you. The staff that he carries is the sign that God is with him. And he goes. And the whole story, that the 40 years they spent in the wilderness, you know, the cloud by day and the fire by night, the staff, all these things that show I am with you, that God is with us is so important. When Moses parts the waters, when he is praying for Joshua as, he fight, as he's fighting the enemies on the mountaintop, as he's striking the rock, all of these things are done with the staff. 21 times in Exodus, the staff is mentioned. This is what we need. He is with us. And I think our morning prayers have to be an acknowledgement of God. God, you're with me. God, I know you're with me. Help me to understand that. Before we throw out all of our requests, God, give me this and help me this and help me. No, we just, he's with me. Because often we see in the scriptures, God answers the prayers not by changing our circumstances. He says, I'm just with you. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fire, it's not that he put out the fire. He says, I'm just there with you. And his presence with us is the answer. He is for me. If he is with me, what am I going to fear? Even though I go to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. The last is he uses God's people. 
to help us through our fears. Verse 27 and on in this chapter, it's um, where God calls Aaron. Aaron goes as Moses' mouthpiece because Moses is too afraid to speak, and he goes. And within a few verses, right, um, the people of God, Israel's belief, and they worship God. I mean, the success happens instantly with his people. Moses is thinking, they're not going to listen to me. But one thing he does is God sends Aaron into his life. Verse 27, he said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Um, Moses tells him what happens and what we ought to do. This is very refreshing because Aaron is the, the good one, the good child, the one that says, okay, I'll go. What do you want me to do, God? Okay, I'll do it. Whereas Moses is the one with excuse after excuse, pain after pain. And if, as I mentioned, if I was in charge, if we were in charge, we'd say, hey, Moses, you're done, bud. You know, yeah, I'm not going to waste my time with you. We got Aaron. Aaron says, here am I, send me. Okay, Aaron, you're in charge. You, they're going to make a movie about you in 1990. You know, like, it doesn't be you. But no, God in his patience and love says, Moses, I know your weaknesses. I know your flaws. I'll bring someone along that will help you. But this is my will for you. Don't under, underestimate the power of people that point us back to God. Go follow them. Walk with them. And sometimes they will tell you the truth. You don't want to hear those truths. You know you ought to be doing those things. They tell you. And it makes you now walk back with God. There are people like that. And we ought to walk with courage, because God sends people like this in our lives. And I want to challenge you, and I want to encourage you. As we look upon the cross of Christ, we see what looks like weakness as power. The ultimate power of God demonstrated in the cross. Uh, we see what looks like a death and a desertion, ultimately being God the Holy Spirit being with us. The disciples thought, this is it. He's gone. I'm going back to Emmaus. I'm going back fishing. I'm done. But no, Jesus Christ comes and he says, I'm going to send you another counselor, a helper. The Holy Spirit is with us. And God sends people. Why do we worship corporately? Why do we have fellowship together? God sends people. And as we come together as the church, maybe you are the Moses. Maybe you're going through stuff. And there's been some errands that have been sent and they are now telling you and helping you. Don't be too prideful for that. Accept what God has sent. And let your fear of God increase and your fear of anything else decrease. We ought to be the bravest people in the world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for your kindness towards us. God, when we read Moses' story, his reluctance, his fears, God, we, we, we all identify with him in so many ways. That is our story, it feels like, and yet you patiently show your grace towards us because we are yours. So we thank you for the cross that saves us, that covers us, 
In Jesus Christ, we pray that your presence in our lives would not just be some kind of theological theory that we know in our minds or something that we know in our heads, but that we would experience daily, and that we would walk with courage this way. We thank you, God. Um, and would you help your church to walk in this way? We pray in Jesus' name.